I totally agree. And I would just say that anytime you hear a story of, and I'll just use generalities, but like a, a 21-year-old Instagrammer who just made a ton of money, the product that seems to be a simple product, what you, if you really peel back the layers, what you realize is they had visual design and aesthetic concepts on lockdown. Many Amazon sellers think business growth is the same as sales growth. But if you're smarter, you know e-commerce businesses are sold as a multiple of profits, not of sales. So if you want to build a sellable business, you need to grow profits. And to grow profits, you need to cut waste and increase profitable sales. Our new quick assessment helps you identify your biggest Amazon profit killer and what to do about it. Go to AmazonProfitQuiz.com. That's AmazonProfitQuiz.com to get your free instant diagnosis. We've already talked about the nature of Amazon selling, the journey through different business models from reselling through wholesale to brand building, private label product selection. How do you define what a winner is? How do you go about keyword research and stock management? So those are really critical topics. If you didn't catch that last episode, I'd really urge you to do because there's some great wisdom in there. I can say that because it's not for me. It's, it's me relaying the wisdom of my guests as well, of course, as Jason's very um, insightful thoughts and comments as well. Today, we are talking about the psychological drivers and image marketing, what to do when FBA is full, really important to get your head around this if you're selling on Amazon in 2021 and beyond. Working in your business and working on your business, really important from the e-commerce, sorry, the e-myth revisited. So check that one out and, the, and not least the e-commerce trends coming up in 2021. So stay tuned and hope you enjoy the show. The seventh one, I'm going to swap these around actually. The next one is by Will Churnland, who's a really great business thinker in the Amazon world um, and has been, as he said, in the Amazon echo chamber, as he calls it. Ironically, he's really dominant in the Amazon echo chamber, but he recognizes that you don't want to stay stuck in the Amazon echo chamber. You need to think rationally. So he's really been talking about fulfillment when FBA is full and really why Amazon might be slowing down getting customers. And really what he's saying is that they're basically, Amazon is in a difficult place now. Shopify likes it when more and more people who do their own fulfillment join them because they yeah. aren't trying to create a walled garden in that way. Sure. Amazon doesn't really like it when people are doing that because they want as much control as possible over the customer, the customer's experience, both for the customer's sake, but also for Amazon's sake. Mm -hmm. And they don't really want to be adding third-party sellers who do their own fulfillment, but they've absolutely reached capacity. So what's happening is that FBA sellers who've had the luxury of Amazon doing all the work for them, they've just sent stuff into Amazon and it gets handled by Amazon. And to the point of what we were just talking about, the you know stock management's really hard. Yes, Amazon messes it up, but they deal with most of it very elegantly. And therefore, when you have to emerge blink into the sunlight in 2020 and 2021 and beyond and do your own stock management, that is a, a harsh reality that we all have to get our heads around as Amazon sellers. And I think for the future as well. So here's... Is his advice then to get good at merchant fulfilled? Is that, and that's what he's talking about? Is the, I think is really, the, yeah. Will tends to look in big, bigger picture concepts. And frankly, I'm a bit vague about all of the things that we talked about. But I think that the, the main thing that I took from it, and to my point earlier, please do go and listen. Will's, Will's a sharp guy. He probably said lots of great things that I've missed. But basically, and the, the episode, by the way, was called Amazon Fulfillment Problems and Solutions with Churnland, Will Churnland of Goat Consulting. 
and uh, yeah broadly speaking we have to just go through the, the pain of finding 3pls uh, third-party sellers uh, third-party uh, logistics i should say and make sure that we integrate that into our process rather than just lazily relying on fba and hoping that this has been a blip that 2020 was obviously extreme year in e-commerce in terms of demand i just think that's it you're just going to have to get your head around it and get good at it and it's not easy but the key is to find good partners who are not overly expensive yeah and do your sums to see if you can still make a profit. And yeah. sadly, sometimes you can't. Yeah. Okay, that's great. We had a recent conversation in our CEO small group. I lead a, a small mastermind. It's for our coaching clients. And we have a great time. We've got like 23, 24 people in that. And a recent conversation about 3PLs and that kind of thing was interesting. And one of our clients said he's used different ones. But his best advice is find one within driving distance of where you live so that you can literally go meet with them, talk to them, check it out, drive over as needed, even rig up delivery of your inventory to them efficiently with your own means. And that was an interesting piece of advice uh, rather than just finding a big, a big 3PL in Houston, Texas or Denver or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and I, that was interesting. So that's uh, good advice. Okay, great. It is. Um, just a couple of other nuances. To your point, I think the thing about physical moving atoms is much harder than moving electrons, as they say. Yeah. Physical inventory is really hard. And to the point we just made, it's so easy to mess it up. If you can physically inspect inventory, at least in the early days, that's very wise. So you're yeah, having a very local warehouse, having a really good understanding of their exact processes is critical. And here's what I would say about the processes around inventory, whether it's managing stock in China, inspecting it, setting it up to be manufactured, manu managing reselling in America. It's all the devil is in the detail. And it's more important to have robust processes that are proven than really slick, wonderful ones. So if their process sounds great on paper and you just trust them, that's riskier than somebody who's a bit old school and very manual and a bit blue collar, but it works. <laughs> so I would say that's another sort of criterion is that mm -hmm. it's robust and, and yeah. they have things like error percentages and whatever. Like a guy with a spreadsheet is much more important than a guy with a sexy looking website is what mm -hmm. I would say. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. The other thing to say about that is this couple of things and the ideal world for cash flow um, management and also stock flow management purposes, I guess you're only sending in a week or two's inventory at a time so that you don't annoy Amazon with its um, IPI inventory inventory performance index because if that gets really low amazon says you can only ship in 20 30 50 units of a product that's selling a thousand a week and it becomes very painful to try and make mm -hmm. it work mm -hmm. so you ideally you do that however then you've got to look at the reality of how long it takes to ship stuff how busy your warehouse is it comes down to a lot of just you know the, the numbers unfortunately drive things in a difficult way the other reason that you might want to keep your own third-party warehouse stuff is that crazy things have occasionally happened on amazon for example will said the one guy he worked with had a million dollars worth of stock destroyed as counterfeits and it was unclear if it was counterfeit. So he kept it in the FBA warehouse system. So there, there are some even yeah. worse things that can happen. It's pretty rare, by the way. I've never personally come across it. But some mm -hmm. strange things can happen in the FBA system. If mm -hmm. you, for example, get your account suspended, which does mm -hmm. happen. I had a client in one of the masterminds have that horrendous sphincter tightening experience for 14 yeah. straight days recently. And in that case, they will freeze all your assets, including your inventory and the financial, the money. Yeah. In which case, it makes sense to have some stock outside the Amazon system so that you you can fulfill through other channels as well so there's even more reasons really as the more you look at it ever more reasons to have your own external to amazon fulfillment it's just a pain and expensive yeah wow so good okay let's keep going on our list so the eighth business concept is what 
So this is much more kind of sexy stuff. Everyone loves talking about this stuff. This is the psychological drivers behind visual marketing. There's a lady who, to my shame, I just admit my, my idiocy is a lady who's a modelpreneur. And I thought, oh, a model. I wonder how intellectually challenging this conversation is going to be. And to my prejudice, I've never really spoken prejudice. to a model before. And yeah, guess what? Super smart lady, very intellectual, actually very analytical lady. It's called Daisy Pollard Sepulveda. She yeah. was Miss Jamaica back in the day. She now lives in LA, surrounded by all the, the beautiful people and uh, that kind of environment, which is yeah. you know, geared to wonderful visual imagery. Yeah. And she's a specialist in model photography for physical products. It's such a, I'd really recommend, it's called e-commerce visual branding with uh, Daisy Pollard. And I'd totally recommend anyone to listen to it because there's so much deep thinking that went behind it so really what i got away from it is really there's we had a, a load of different conversations that we've had really she talks about data-driven people versus creators and that sort of ties in with the opportunity i think even on amazon even in 2021 and beyond mm -hmm. is that amazon is very data-driven it's a very engineering type company and therefore they're pretty horrible at, at doing their own listings and one of the reasons that that doesn't work is Daisy's really in the business of, as is suitable for Tinseltown, selling desires, dreams and concepts via images. And really, it comes down to that deep dive work, which I know you've got a fantastic course on Udemy that I've put my clients onto more than once around uh, the branding concepts, yeah. invisible brand, uh, the mm -hmm. invisible aspects, the, the iceberg brand concept and all that yeah. stuff yeah. that you explain very well. And I, I say, send people there all the time. I don't think I get a commission. It's just because I think you've done a fantastic job. <laughs> so that kind of work. And she really yeah. just has deep dived into that kind of work and just really digging into if you're selling a garlic press for example yeah exactly why would you buy that and is it about really being a wonderful mother or, or feeling like you're a the right kind mm -hmm. of person how's it she put it how you should be in the world it's putting across to people how in a commercial world of people looking over their shoulders and i get the feeling that in american culture mm -hmm. that's even more than in british culture in some places yeah how do you navigate that world and your products and your photography and mm -hmm. and your whole branding efforts really are there to to answer profound questions for people yeah. maybe in a quick superficial way but yeah that that kind of idea and it, it sounds very general and i guess it is but i think it shows up in the particular and i would just urge you to listen to the podcast with already daisy pollard sepulveda yeah that's love one, yeah. that um yeah. i think the power of that whole concept really comes into play when you start to think about your secondary images on Amazon, of course, which you, people might refer to them as lifestyle or editorial yeah. um, photography. Yes. As soon as you start to have make those decisions, you're making brand decisions. Yeah. And even if you don't realize it, you are making brand decisions. And so understanding the, the invisible aspects of a brand, the big promise yeah. uh, and the other elements that you're indicating with your lifestyle photography is really important to understand. And that really gets, I think, even Amazon sellers who are just starting out, if they make a listing, then they've reached a certain milestone in their Amazon yeah. journey. And if they've done that, then they've identified a niche that they're operating in. And if they've done that, then they've thought through what they want to do in that niche. And these elements have to be pulled together. And sometimes people just blunder their way through them. <laughs> and over a year or two, they're like, oh, wait, I guess I made a brand name and I just, I, I didn't mean to. And, or, and I interact with a lot of cli clients or students through that brand course. And they'll say something like, well, I have an Amazon brand, but it's not really my brand. And I'm like, what do you mean? You got a different brand? They, and what they mean is, well, I just made it up. It's not really meaningful. Sadly, friend, it is meaningful. And you might have just made it up, but it's time to go back through and really think through what is the, 
visible and invisible aspect of it. What are you saying through it? And yeah. who are you attracting because of it? Yeah. And all of those things, it sounds like Daisy has tapped into. Oh, she's so uh, all over it. She's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, a really good thinker on this subject. Very deep thinker, I would say. Oh, um, I two or three things that strike me just relative to what you said. First of all, I'm working with a couple of different people that, that show how true it is at both ends of the scale. People are just starting out. I've just had a client who's had the happy experience of really taking tremendous care over the visuals of her brand. And she started off and she's been selling, I don't know, 15, 20 units a day, something in the UK, which is a pretty good percentage of the market. Now, it's been early days. We've been spending a lot of marketing and the price is a bit lower. So whether that's the stable number in the end, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But she's kept, she's kicked out of the gate with a relatively expensive product, which I thought was so generic that it was never going to work, frankly. But I tried to keep that to myself because she'd already chosen the product category and ordered the product before she then approached me for help but yeah. guess what i'm wrong and i'm delighted to be wrong and one of the reasons because her branding is bang on she absolutely mm -hmm. gets her target customer mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. visual imagery totally communicates that mm -hmm. and it's about a visual aspect it's a beautiful kitchenware yeah. so that does help i've got another yeah. client who's super bright guy he's a pilot he's very sort of numbers and data driven as you'd hope and he is has been going through this process of, of creating a brand and i think that we've hit on a, a brand identity that could cut through so that level even at the beginning level it really still makes a difference you could still have an impact from day one and the opposite extreme is i've got a client who's doing over 10 million dollars a year in revenue and they come from a sort of wholesale background i've been working really hard to generally try and persuade well the lady i work with is fine and her husband maybe is going through a journey of valuing the intangible brand things and then yeah. the, the brand assets and it's been really hard work to improve that imagery on amazon and uh, yeah uh, that's an example of the fact that it doesn't really matter when you wake up to the reality that branding is critical to the bottom line. Yeah. Uh, just get going, whether it's from day one, you've got yeah. an opportunity to brand build from the beginning. And if you through the journey, get started now because yeah. it's critical stuff. Yeah, I totally agree. And I would just say that anytime you hear a story of, and I'll just use generalities, but like a 21 year old Instagrammer who just made a ton of money the product that seems to be a simple product, what you, if you really peel back the layers, what you realize is they had visual design and aesthetic concepts on lockdown and are expert at the visual presentation of even a seemingly simple product. And that visual presentation at a high level wins the day over people who sometimes in categories have better products that are not presented as well. And so there's that tension between the artistry and the efficacy of effective brand and the quality of product and the rigor of the keywords and those kinds of things. It's just such an interesting kind of mosh pit of different <laughs> strategies and styles that go together. So anyway, I love this yeah. idea. Daisy Pollard yeah. Sepulveda, Psychological Drivers in Image Marketing. Love that. Yeah, she's a very sharp marketer. And I guess it helps to be in Hollywood. I guess she's probably absorbed yeah. by the consciously and unconsciously some really deep understanding of, of how image and video influences yeah. emotion because that's the business of Hollywood, I guess, yeah. that she's LA, that she's in. Yeah, okay. Let's so, keep yeah. going. So what's the ninth business concept? And who, the ninth one really comes from? back to the more operational type stuff. So this is a chap that, because he interviewed both of us a while ago, Dylan Carter of Vendrive mm -hmm. CRM. Very sharp young man. He has just finished a finance-based qualification, but as it happens, he's also been building a wholesale business and an incredibly successful SAS software as a service to businesses on the side as well. So like a major overachiever and really what he's talking about, this whole e-myth revisited, which I know we've discussed and you've done a quick uh, summary on the uh, on the podcast before. 
and uh, I think you and Carl discussed it, right? And it's a, a classic book, which yep. can be yep. therefore overrated and underrated. And one of the basic concepts in the E-Myth Revisited is it's really simple that the technician works in the business doing the stuff and actually everyone aspires to working on the business as the entrepreneur creating mm -hmm. a business system that ideally is sellable or ones, ones without you. So what was interesting nuance on that one when I spoke to Dylan was the idea that actually working in your business is working on your business. In other words, and this doesn't conflict at all with the email to revisit it, it's exactly what Michael E. Gerber said back in the day, mm -hmm. which is that really you plan from the top and then you build from the bottom. So you figure out what the strategic objective of your entire business is. And to your point, profit's a good idea, hint, hint. <laughs> and, uh, mm. and then you try and build out your org chart and then you start working on things. For example, if you're dealing with imagery, let's say that you decide that you're going to be, in my case, a very interesting uh, learning that I've had this last week, that I'm actually better at Photoshop than I thought. And the Photoshop guys that I've hired in various places like Pakistan mm -hmm. turn out to be really completely dumb when it comes to certain things that I thought I'd explain very clearly. Now, clearly, that's partly my management ability, right? So that's a whole different yeah. thing. But here's the point. Here's the point. This is a very good illustration of Dylan's point, which is by trying to be entrepreneurial and set up a system that will be scalable for one of my clients and then I can scale for others uh, to scale up mass producing, increasing the quality of image work on Amazon product listings. And it could be true for Shopify as well. Same mm -hmm. difference. Mm -hmm. What I've discovered is, guess what? I've been trying to manage somebody, but I hadn't done the process myself. Now I'm being more mm -hmm. the technician of the last few days and tweaking images and I'm then sending them over to this guy to, to refine. Hopefully he's at least got that ability. But what I've realized is, Guess what? I tried to skip over the process of the E-Myth Revisited and just go entrepreneur, manager, and then you do the technician stuff. What I've discovered, and I hadn't put two and two together between Dylan's thing and then this until this second, so this is live on-air realisation, mm. Mike goes, duh. Guess what? I hadn't done it myself. Having done it myself, I can now break down much more yeah. specifically step by step what is it I'm doing physically on Photoshop yeah. and give that to somebody say, do this. And then I'll also hopefully be able to manage them more clearly because I'll be managing somebody who gets what I'm trying to say. Whereas before they didn't get, I was talking too abstractly about brand values and yeah. giving them what I thought was fairly concrete pinterest boards for mm. look and feel and they came back with horrible stuff and i thought what's happening so yeah. there you go there's an example of this in action okay i want to take this a step further because i do love that email through visited it's a core concept but here's what i think is a fascinating idea when and i've said this before in different podcasts when i heard elon musk get interviewed and the person said, "What? how do you manage all these companies? You got the boring company, you got Tesla, you got SpaceX, you got Neuralink. Like, how do you manage it all? And he said, I don't understand what you're asking. What do you mean? And she was like, what do you do all day? And he said, I, I don't know what people think I do, but I spend almost all my time on engineering mathematical problems. That's what I focus on. And he blew past what is, I think, a genius level realization which he didn't articulate but you have to infer which is he built a massive team and a business structure that allows him to do what he wants to do it's like he created the this organizational chart and then he chose a role on the organizational chart for himself that he likes that is not being the boss which is totally different than michael gerber's e-myth revisited which assumes you want to be the boss, <laughs> but let's say you love Photoshop and you just want to spend all day long playing with Photoshop. You build a business that allows for that outcome and you're, you have a president or CEO or a team leader that runs all the aspects of a business that allows you the freedom to do what you want to do. 
And um, I think that's a, a nuance to this that's important. My wife is uh, my business partner for our core business. Pixie Fair loves design. Although I might want her to be the CEO of the business, she loves design. So there's the, the reality there. We have to figure out how do we build a business that she can be the designer full time. And I think there's nuance there. So starting with the E-Myth Revisited and then Dylan Carter's conversation with you, I think sounds like fantastic groundwork for really thinking through these concepts of what are you trying to build? What do you want to do inside of what you're doing, the business you're building? And it's really important stuff. Really love the insight you just given me because what struck me the other day, and this is why I guess meta conversation that first of all there is nothing like contact with reality to check your concepts right Mm -hmm. and i guess this is why it's important to work in businesses even if you're trying to create Mm -hmm. and work on them Mm -hmm. so that's the first thing Uh, the second thing discovery that i made the other day is i thought i put on some jazz and i was working at photoshop and i thought yeah i'm enjoying this i'm actually not bad at this now i'm not claiming to be a photoshop expert and and i'm not aiming to be but the point is if i spend a certain amount of time in that middle ground where i feel i can add value like choosing Mm -hmm. tasteful photos that reflect the brand value of the client that Mm -hmm. i think i'm reasonably good at i have a feel for branding i've had a lot of training including from you which was excellent by the way and i can get a feel for what roughly is i have a pretty good sense of what a a good image image should look like and what the purpose is in the wider Mm -hmm. scheme of the the marketing and all the rest of it and then get somebody else to clean that up and then document what i'm doing then to some degree i'm actually reasonably happy doing that and it's not Mm -hmm. highly scalable use of my time but i guess if Mm -hmm. i just charge more for it and don't do that that much of it Mm -hmm. then yeah there is something to be said for that because the other day i also had some keyword research work to do for a client and guess what i've ended up not doing it that's the clue right i ended up Mm -hmm. doing the photoshop work for longer than i should Mm -hmm. have and enjoying it and then i shied away from the keyword research i've done tons of it over the years but i just didn't find it as creative look i'm a musician by my training so i guess maybe it's not surprising yeah, I love this. The, the, and that's the important thing is working working out how you want to participate in your business is a mm. central concept. Okay, let's yeah. go for the final concept here. Who shared it with you and what's the concept? So this was uh, an interview from the beginning of 2021 with Dylan Frost, again, from the Wholesale uh, Formula. He's not the only person who's come on and made great predictions. It just happens to be, I think, the most recent. And he was talking about e-commerce trends that he's seeing coming, which is always interesting, especially in the light of the fact that when there's been a big upsurge, like there was in 2020, then the obvious thought is, well, okay, 2020 was a unique year. To some extent, I think that's true. But he was, again, being an American, I guess there's always an intrinsic optimism in Americans because they live in this extraordinary rich country with an incredible integrated consumer population who love buying stuff so i could see why and it's an instant corrective for me as a brit he was saying that he thinks 2021 may even be a bigger year for e-commerce than 2020 because um, in the usa and quite possibly in europe there's a huge bull market company he was talking mm-hmm. in january it's now april when we're recording this and certainly so far in terms of the s&p 500 if that's the, the right number mm-hmm. the FTSE 100 the german stock market they're also trending up pretty strongly and he was saying okay simply speaking vaccines get a go to more and more people and we get back to normal i've certainly experienced that as i just said myself at the beginning Mm -hmm. of before we started the podcast i had a haircut last week thank goodness because i could leave the house and next week i'm getting a vaccine (laughs) so that's proof that life is getting back to some kind of normal (laughs) you're prepared to go out into the big wide world of london i am well i'm allowed legally i wasn't allowed to go for a haircut before so (laughs) 
The second thing is that the people yeah. overcorrect behavior into normal activities, for example, travel and going out is going to go nuts because obviously we've all been stuck indoors for a year and more yeah. or less to some degree. Um, there's a big stimulus in the economy in the USA. They had a huge stimulus. There's going to be another one after Biden's been sworn in. He was predicting that quite a lot of that has happened. And then when there was a stimulus in spring in 2020, there was a big spike in sales. So he was predicting that will also follow mm -hmm. through in 2021. And there's just broadly speaking, a lot of money knocking around in the economy. And I, I absolutely yeah. could see all of those factors so broadly speaking he was just saying he's very bullish about e-commerce in 2021 now okay he's in e-commerce he's selling e-commerce training they only sell it once a year by the way mm -hmm. so you can't mm -hmm. get hold of their training for the moment but dylan carter if you are interested in wholesale sourcing i would just say dylan d-i-l-o-n just to confuse things because dylan frost is spelled d-y-l-a-n dylan carter is a good place to start for wholesale sourcing work but, but zooming out to the bigger picture, I think that there's a lot of reasons to be very optimistic in 2021. In 2022, yeah. I think 23, that might be where the kind of correction happens. And I can't predict the future that much. But I certainly think it's a great year to be getting into e-commerce, despite the fact that 2020 was a great year as well. Yeah, we're obviously catching a wave as e-commerce sellers. It was a great year to get into e-commerce in 2007. It was a great year in 2008. It was a great year in 2009. It's a great year in 2010. We, I went full-time as a joined my wife and our family business on January 1st, 2014. That was a great year. The whole COVID lockdown thing accelerated everyone's understanding of e-commerce worldwide. And I heard the Shopify CEO say that their projections for 2030 in terms of sales volumes, gross merchandise volume, all that came true in 2020. So a, f a full decade of acceleration occurred because of COVID. Hmm. So it, I, I just continue to be bullish on the idea of us finding our way in e-commerce as individuals and are finding our business model, our niche, and really doing the work to learn how to become effective uh, operators. It is a wonderful time to get into this industry. And it's just a process of learning the skill sets. And I look at it just like anything else. If in the days of Henry Ford, somebody said, hey, it might be a good idea, a good time to get into the automobile industry. I'm like, yeah, that's a good idea. Or in the, the days of whoever you know created electricity, Tesla, or whoever you want to attribute it to 100 whatever years ago, like, that's a good time to be an electrician. This is a good time to be a commerce <laughs> operator. <laughs> Just is. It's a massive forever trend that's not going to stop. Yeah, interesting. I guess uh, the, I, there you go. This is why I need optimistic Americans. The only part of yeah. me is the reversion to the mean thing that, that yeah. if, if it goes crazy and you have 10 years worth of growth in 2021, my expectation would it be fairly flat in 22. I think maybe that shows up somewhere. I'm not sure, but I think you're right. And actually, for the moment, it's simply massive incredibly wave. strong reasons to be bullish yeah. on it. The other thing I would say is this, which kind of is, I think it's going to be true anyway. It may be true more rapidly than not, but that's the development of the sophistication of the market as people talk about saturation i remember talking before i even got close to amazon with people talking about online marketing about 2007 when i first got serious professional training in it and people were saying oh saturated and he said no it's not saturated it's just moved on so mm -hmm. in other words can you just whack up some awful product from china with no feeling for who might buy it and no keyword research of any quality in a big market well no 
But guess what? There are still opportunities created by people like Amazon who are awful at selling products. So yeah. if you do an amazing deep dive into your pro customer avatar and you do some wonderful editorial slash product uh, commercial type photography, mm -hmm. you're already still going to be ahead of the game. But I think within a year, you're going to have to be at that level just as an entry level. So in other words, to your point of being a craftsperson and having the skill set, you need to have a better skill set and the, the barrier to entry from the point of your skill set and possibly finance, I think is higher than it used to be. Yeah. They're bigger, more valuable markets. Just mm -hmm. like a real estate market, if you want to buy property somewhere valuable like San Francisco or New York, you're going to have to spend more money or Seattle even than you would do buying somewhere, nowhere. But you're going to have to spend more money and more effort, but the yeah. rewards are going to be huge as well. So I think you just have to be more professional than you used to be. And mm -hmm. to that yep. end, I, I guess, getting training is more crucial than ever as well. But the good news is there's so much more training now than ever. You can be more professional immediately than you could be in 2007 or 2008 when the, in the U.S. at least the only person teaching people stuff was Dave Espino on how to sell on eBay type stuff. This is a wonderful list, top 10 list. So in the show notes on the ecommerceleader.com, we will put links to all these episodes. So if you want to go through and listen to every one of these conversations Michael's had, uh, then we'd love to have you do that. I'll just close our conversation here by saying, if you want help transitioning from reselling or doing replans or doing arbitrage to becoming focused on private label, I know of no better person than Michael Vizi, And I would encourage you to check out amazing fba.com slash mentoring to learn more about your programs and how you could help people. Michael, is that cool that I just Absolutely. refer people to your yeah expertise? Yeah, I've worked with people from Raw Beginners. The, the, I've worked with people who some guys doing a couple of million pounds a year in wholesale and wanting to transition into private label or, or, to, or not so much transition in yeah. the immediate term as add private label products to the mix and on the longer term transition. So yeah, I'm like generally um, working more and more with more established sellers. I do work with people at the early stages. Um, the only thing I would say is that if you're really early stages and you don't have a lot of capital, then I wouldn't suggest you go into private label or rather than half doing mm -hmm. private labeling, half asking, mm -hmm. if I may use that word, <laughs> mm -hmm. a very British way of putting it, then you probably should be looking at doing replans and doing it really well and yeah. in that case obviously the replans challenge is the place to go and i know that you guys have got some amazing guests and i've got some mm -hmm. great expertise available these days yeah so that's the only caveat i would say is pick a business model that's appropriate to your financial resources and your experience yeah absolutely thanks everybody for joining us on this episode of the e-commerce leader you can check it out on ecommerceleader.com for all the prior episodes and on all the fun players including spotify where we're the number one e-commerce podcast when you use a hyphen between the E and the C, but it's an honor. The algorithm has rewarded us for our hard work on Spotify. So we'd love to have you check it out, give it a review and rate podcast listener player you use. And Mike, thank you again for a wonderful conversation. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.